welcome to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today, I'll be talking about loving when it hurts. There are times that life doesn't introduce us to people, places, and things that fill us with love. You know, these times when you just feel kind of down and empty and lonely, and that's when the pity party kicks off, you know, and sometimes it's just just your mood and how you feel. Other times, it's like you're digging deep to really find, you know, things around you that you're grateful for, really. I mean, you could translate it into that. But, um, and I'm talking about even things like, oh, I love my house. Uh, Or I love my job. I'm so in love with my job. It makes me so happy and so fulfilled. Or, you know, your typical uh, person, a partner that you're in love with. So, um, at those times, you know, uh, again, this, you, you've got like this self, this pity party going on. And, um, and so of course I, on the side, side note, whenever I say the word pity party, I think of the singer, Sam Smith, (laughs) because that guy's songs like tear a hole in my soul. I cannot listen to him. It's so sad. It's so sad. Anyway. Okay. So what about when life does introduce you to people, places, and things to love? I remember when I first had feelings for um, my kid's father, and who is now my ex-husband. Um, but I said to him, this isn't good. That's what I said. Like my reaction to like falling in love with him was this isn't good. And I said that, that that's something I'll always remember. And I said it because I was scared that I was going to get hurt because I could feel that I was getting vulnerable. And that's because loving someone or loving anything is risky. It's it's like, you know, I've been talking so much over the past three, three months about how much I love my job and how much I didn't want to walk away. And just that alone is leaving me grieving. And I was thinking of an an analogy. Love is like skydiving, where the person you love is your parachute on your back. And you're just hoping that it opens before you fall too far and smack. And what happens when when we actively cultivate love for someone when they're sick and suffering, when we embrace another person and their pain, especially when we know that they're 
very ill. You know, they're terminally, terminally ill. We are giving our own peace and serenity for the sake of them. You know, we're trying to pull some of that out and hand it over to them because we love them and we want them to not suffer. And sometimes we give even more than we have just to carry them in their time of need. And I think this is why when we are the caregiver, it's it's exhausts people who are caregivers because you're giving often more than you even have. You know, it's a selfless act that can often leave us exhausted and in more pain when our loved one is gone. More pain than we would have experienced if we didn't shift our focus towards them and cultivate that love. You know, if we, if we, there's, there's times when we know people that fall ill and it's not unheard of that people kind of try to inch away from it. And I, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's discomfort, just the discomfort of being close to that kind of illness. There's getting hurt. There's this protect, you know, protective mechanism that we have. And so when we lean into these full seasons of our lives, these these emotions, the deep emotions, it can be terribly painful. And what it reminds me of is my grandmother and my grandfather. I loved these two people. I really did. They were like the perfect grandparents. They were so loving. And, you know, I talked yesterday about that just that that whole world that was fashioned just for me when I was a child, when I lived in this townhouse, you know, and I was just in this protective bubble. Um, well, that extended out to my, uh, when I was with my grandparents also. It was just your classic grandparents where they were married, we would go over there and she would cook and he would sit in front of the TV and watch some football, but yet he wasn't like grouchy, grouchy grandpa. He was just super, you know, he was quiet, but funny. And um, I just have such wonderful memories of them. And I'm really fortunate to have that. Um, However, when they got sick, that challenged me. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one in my family who was challenged because we didn't have anybody who was sick before. This was really my first encounter with um, my first encounter with family who I was really close to um, 
and they were reaching the end of their lives. So my grandmother, uh, I called her Grammy, she had a stroke. Um, and I remember when she had the stroke, my mom and I went to the hospital and saw her. She was in the emergency room and she could still talk because she said, she said my, she called me Ray. That was my nickname for, by my family. And she particularly, uh, called me Ray. And I went in there as they were doing all the tests and stuff. And so I was able to go in there and I said, oh, Grammy, I was so nervous and so scared. I, I don't know that I'd ever really been in an emergency room. And I said, Grammy, I love you. And she said, um, she said, I love you too, Ray. And I believe that was the last thing I ever heard her speak because she had multiple strokes after that um, for several, I think she was having many strokes or something, but um, until the end of her life, because she ended up not being able to um, communicate. She had aphasia. So um, I was not comfortable going there, you know, um, when I did go there, I went over to her as she was laying down and she tried to talk to me and having a face, I couldn't understand her. And I said, Grammy, I don't understand you. I'm so sorry. And the look on her face was just, it's like I just popped her balloon, you know, like I just took the wind out of her sails and and I just remember that look on her face. And and I'll never forget that, especially now having had a stroke myself. And I don't have necessarily aphasia, I guess, to the degree. I mean, obviously, I do very well communicating in this podcast. But there are times when the... Uh, my head symptoms get so intense that I start mixing up my words and, and getting a little confused and stuff. But I think that's something neurological. I think it's different. I, it's all neurological as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, um, I remember just being uncomfortable. And then, so she passed at... Uh, a, a couple years later. And so my grandfather was still alive. And my grandfather was very, um, he never complained. He was very much mobile, as mobile as somebody can be in their late 90s. Um, and he he didn't make me feel that uncomfortable, you know? Um, anyway, I had a friend of mine who encouraged me to go visit my grandfather every Wednesday. And thanks to that person, I stuck to that. And that person would even drive me there. Um, 
just to really support me getting there and not feeling like I was doing it on my own because it's uncomfortable. And so I did. I went and visited him and and I fed him and I talked to him. And, and by doing that for at least a year, I, I don't recall really. It could have been two years. I have no idea. I can't remember. Um, but by doing that, I ended up when he passed away feeling way more intensity of grief than I would have ever felt had I not done that. And this morning in my sobriety meeting, I was reminded of an individual who uh, I've mentioned in a previous podcast who is, is reaching the end of his life as well. And there's a, a friend of his who has really taken him under his wings and become brothers with him. You know, it just, just being there, being there unquestionable, unquestionably, uh, you know, like unconditional love, no matter what, I am going to be here. I'm always going to be here. You can count on me, you know, and that person has been doing that for a couple years now. And so as this man reaches the end of his life, there is so much more grief that, that, he has to deal with because it's a greater loss. He built up such a meaningful relationship that now that loss is so much greater. And it just reminded me of my, of my relationship with my grandfather and how that got so strong that it hurt so much more when he was gone. But if I, if I had to go back and do it again, I would have done it again. Because what I got out of it and what my grandfather got out of it was so much more, so, so much more long-term and so much more beautiful, joyful, and all of that stuff, all of that good stuff than the pain that I had to process. So grief is a part of living, but it occurs when we love, when we love people, places, and things. If I didn't love my job so much, I wouldn't be grieving so deeply about losing it, you know, about having to walk away. If, you know, these people that we love so much, if we just turned away when they were ill, it wouldn't hurt so bad when they pass. At least, you know, everybody deals with things in different ways. And I can understand that that would be a way to deal with loss so that it doesn't hurt so bad when they go. And... When we, when we unmask ourselves and really open up the most 
vulnerable places inside of us to love, we're inviting grief to come later. I mean, that sounds really terrible, but but we're willing to do anything. You know, we're willing to do anything for the sake of love for that person. If I was still drinking, I wouldn't get to feel the way that I do now. I wouldn't get to have this lump in my throat as I think about all of my colleagues that I'm not going to see every day and talk to them every day. Uh, if I didn't, you know, if, if I just was drinking, um, I never would have built those kinds of relationships. And as I process so many different emotions now, it's almost textbook as I observe and document my progress every day during this huge seasonal change in my life. And I get to document it and observe it because of this podcast. I wouldn't probably be as, you know, uh, consistent about it if I wasn't committed to doing this podcast. So it's been a positive thing for me. So often people fear that vulnerability and turn away from the people that, that are sick. You know, when we turn away from sick people, we're protecting ourselves, forsaking them. So, you know, if we turn towards them, we're giving our peace and serenity for the sake of them. And if we turn away from them and protect ourselves, we are forsaking them. There's personal growth in getting closer to the sick and suffering. And I think it's because it hurts. You know, it hurts. At the end of every sobriety meeting, we say we have a moment of silence for the sick and suffering. And we do it, you know, I go to these meetings every single day at 7 a.m. And there are days that I'm, you know, we've been laughing because there's sometimes we are cutting up in those meetings. Sometimes it's pretty funny. Um, but we always do take that moment of silence for the sick and suffering and I try to really, really just get silent within myself, get quiet, and recognize that as I'm laughing, as I'm peaceful, as I'm sober, as I'm still living, there are people sick and suffering out there. And I need to make sure that I acknowledge that and make sure that I extend my hand to them whenever I have the opportunity. And in sobriety or not, people that are sick and suffering as an alcoholic or people that are sick and suffering with a, 
with a, an illness, you know, a, a terminal illness. I can't say that word for some reason. Um, I, I try to make a point to extend my hand to them because I do believe that I have a lot of serenity, peace, joy, love, all of that good cozy stuff. I feel like I have a lot to give even when I'm fighting for myself and recovery I have a lot to give. I feel it. You know, I feel it when I'm doing the podcast. I feel a lot of compassion. And so I know I have more to give to others. And that is so important for me, really, in my recovery. I was listening to a video today. This is my new way of Googling. I go on YouTube because I can, I've learned how to do voiceover on YouTube, so I can just search using dictate, and then I can listen to the videos. And so I was listening to this video on the Miami Dolphins coach, Mike McDaniel. So if you're familiar with him, he's, uh, I think he's the youngest coach in the NFL right now. I think he's 35. And so he is a recovering alcoholic and he actually, uh, like 10 years, maybe more than 10 years ago, he was the assistant coach for another NFL team and he got fired because of his, uh, behavior when he was drinking, he was always drinking and he since got sober, um, and I think 865 days later, he was hired as head coach for the Miami Dolphins. And I love to hear uh, football players' lives. There's a show on TV called A Football Life. I love listening to that because I love listening to uh, these folks that overcome adversity and become such inspirations and idols to, um, to the world really, um, and to young people. So he mentioned in this video, um, and it made me think about being able to look back at our lives like a football player watches game film. And as we piece together the downs into individual clips we ask ourselves, do they move us down the field towards our goal or are we standing still? Are we getting sacked? Are we moving backwards away from our goal? Are we always handing the ball to, to the other team or to somebody else? Are we not owning our position and standing strong? So are we investing in relationships that help us grow? Because our relationships are a huge, huge factor in moving us forward in life. And if we don't get vulnerable, then we can't grow those relationships. I believe that. I have 
I have run across so many people in my life who deal with relationships differently. And I know people who just refuse to get vulnerable, to tell people about how they feel, to tell people about their personal life. And I don't get it. I don't understand it because I have to do that in order to be happy and be joyful. That's a part of what gives me joy in life is to be able to trust other people enough to share my feelings. And if I end up getting hurt because of that, then I end up getting hurt. You know, nobody's going to kill me because I told them that XYZ made me sad and then they made fun of me. That's not going to kill me. But what would kill me slowly is if I just stayed inside myself and never shared anything with anybody, you know? I mean, there has been so much growth in me just in the past three months as I have gotten more vulnerable than I ever imagined I could or would be to talk about everything and post it on the internet, you know? And I'm doing it to save myself and I'm doing it to save somebody else out there because I know, I know for a fact that somebody is going to listen to this and it's going to help them. And I've had people tell me already, it's only been three months, three months. And there's people coming back to me and saying, you're helping me with my depression. You know, it, it's, it's so fulfilling. I just absolutely love it to my core. So are, are you getting vulnerable? Are you getting vulnerable, vulnerable enough to risk getting sacked like a football player? Are you putting yourself out there just enough that you're moving forward And am I loving others even when it sets me up for pain, grief, loss, and fear? And I have an amazing story to tell you. I, I almost can't even believe it myself. So today, I was writing the script for this episode. And I wrote down this sentence. Am I loving others when it sets me up for pain, grief, loss, and fear? Period. And my phone lit up as soon as I wrote that. My phone lit up and it spoke to me because I had it on voiceover. And it told me that a friend of mine that I had lost touch with because both of us were afraid to call each other and send a text to each other, my friend texted me. And my heart, like, started racing like a racehorse. And without question, I picked up the phone and 
I said to call her. And she answered and she said, hello. And I started crying. She started crying. And I don't think we've stopped saying I love you the rest of today. And it's because of her. She picked up the phone. I didn't pick up the phone and call her because I was scared of what, you know, what she would say to me. Is she angry? You know, I was fearful of doing that. But she picked up the phone and texted me. And it turns out that both of us wanted to have each other back. And it happened. It just happened. I don't know. She said it just kind of happened to her. And when I saw when I heard her name on my phone, I didn't think for a second. I didn't hesitate. I just called. And it was like a reunion that I have not I don't think I've ever felt. I mean, this this woman is like a daughter to me or a sister to me. And it just happened right when I t- wrote that sentence down, you know, and these are the gifts of showing up for life. These are the gifts of me staying sober. These are the gifts of me doing this podcast because guess who just listened to my podcast today? This friend that I haven't talked to in years, you know? So I could not be more grateful and, um, and just overjoyed with the love that I feel today and the gifts that I've been given. So that's what I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Share me, share me with a friend. Um, and we'll just continue to grow the community. Um, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.